Second Samuel chapter 23, and uh, we are almost done in the book of Second Samuel. I think next week, actually, Lord willing, it will be our closing or our last lesson or message in the book of Second uh, Samuel. I think it's been a great journey uh, through the book of Second Samuel. Um, actually, those two young men that were here Sunday night, they asked me, I think one of them is, 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 you know, it's a great blessing. I'm going to tell you, God, God does wonderful things in the lives of people. He said to me, I didn't ask him, he just said, he said, Pastor Barboza, he said, I was sleeping in the church parking lot in Portsmouth, up in Portsmouth, and Brother Baker came and invited me to come to church. And I went in, I got saved, and now I love to preach his word. It's like, isn't that God wonderful, the way the Lord just draw this man over there, and now he's so, he wants to teach God's word so young. That's a blessing. It blessed my heart. And he, said, he asked me a couple of questions. He said to me, what do you do on Wednesday night? And I said, well, I preach through the Bible. He goes, oh, if I could come, I would, because I know you can learn so much. I said, well, just come. <laughs> but I mean, I don't want to take him out of his church, but anyway. But I just said, if you come, just that's what we do on Wednesday nights. But anyway, let's look here. On verse uh, uh, Second Samuel chapter twenty-three, uh, verse twelve, um, look what it says. But he stood in the midst of the ground, and defended and slew the Philistines. And the Lord wrought a great victory. And uh, and three of the thirty chief went down and came to David in in the harvest time in the cave of, of Adullam. And uh, and the troop of the Philistines pitched in the valley of Raphrim. Well, if you look at verse 11, actually, look what it says there. And after, uh, and, and after him was uh, Shammah, the son of Agi, the Heretite, Herit- Herit- and the Philistines were gathered together unto a troop where uh, was a piece of ground filled of lentiles, lentiles, I believe, and the people fled from the Philistines. So the people fled from the Philistines. I should have started with that verse. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for this passage of Scripture. Lord, we're going to look, Lord, tonight in a uh, mighty man, and especially one of them here in this passage. And I pray, Father, that we take into account, Lord, what we can do when we allow you to use us. And Father, I pray, Lord, that help me to teach this lesson. Teach me as I teach. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So, um, if you look at the title of the message, it says, Mighty Amen. Actually, I made a mistake there. It's supposed to be a mighty man. And I don't know why I did Mighty Amen. Uh, it's supposed to be uh, a, a mighty amen. A mighty man, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, and not man in the plural, but in the singular. Okay, I made a mistake. Uh, so, Mighty Man, if you look at it the way the Brother Eric asked me, and that's how I found it. I didn't even realize I made a mistake. So a mighty man, that's the title. If you have the new outline, you, you want to correct that. Uh, so uh, anyway, as we study the life of David, David through the book of First and Second Samuel, we notice that the great, the, the great mighty man that followed David, David as man that believed in him, trusted in him, and followed him. Uh, and they were very close. They were, they were men that whatever David would ask, they will do for him. So there was a group of highly trained soldiers who fought with David and aided him in his victories. Of course, the Lord is the one who, got, who had the victories, but the Lord used those men 
and of course used David uh, uh, in those days. So among those men, there were there were uh, uh, others who served David person like personal bodyguards there. These men and they they uh, uh, they were men of war. Of course, David is described as a man of war as well. So tonight I want to focus in one of of this special man, just one man, and this man's name is Shema, Shema, brother, right? Shema, Shema. Uh, he is described for, for us as a man who took a stand against an overwhelming odds and won a, a great victory to help uh, 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 by the help of the Lord. So he is a man from whom we could learn much this evening. He was a man who refused to run when everybody should stood up and fight back, when everybody ran and he stood up by himself and God gave him a great victory. Sometimes we think, we say, you know what, I'm by myself, I might as well give up because everybody already ran. You know what, this man right here, he believed I stand up because I'm going to stand up for God. He did. And he had a great victory. I mean, I, we could say God gave him the victory because him by himself, in no way you could defeat so many people. I believe God was in it. But the people ran. You see, here's the thing that I want to share with you tonight is this. And we will fo focus on that as we go along. Many people, when trouble arrives, they run. They, 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 they go the other way. They don't want to face trouble. So they, they go the other way. This man shows a lesson, gave us a lesson here tonight that when trouble arises and trouble comes, we stand up and we fight and we face it. And that's what this man is about. That's why I want us to look at this man tonight. So the Bible tells us that the Philistines attacked the people of God. When they came, all the people ran away. All, all that is except of one man, uh, Shammah. The guy on the, okay, Shammah. I'm going to keep that in mind. Shammah. He took a stand in a field uh, of lentils, of peas, and, and, he, and he had a great victory here. I would like to, for us to take just a few minutes this evening to look at this man and what he stood for. So he teaches us a lesson that we need to learn. I believe all of us, includes, including me. Uh, and there are three aspects of this victory that help us. That is a time on which we need to take a stand. So there are times on which, okay, but there are times we need to take a stand for God. We need to take a stand. There is a time to fight, even when others are running away. There's a time to stand firm for what we believe. There's a time to fight for what, we, for what, is, what is dear to us. There is a time for those things. Something that is dear to us, something that we love with passion, we say, I'm going to stand up and I'm going to do this. So let's look at this from several points tonight. So, a time of inspiration. A type of inspiration. We see this from verse 1 to verse 7. So at least, 70, uh, at least 73 of the Psalms in the book of, of Psalms are assigned to David. But his last one is found only here in 2 Samuel uh, 23. The phrase is the last words of David. Means that the last inspired written words of David. That's what the Bible is trying to say. Not like he stopped talking. It just inspired words of, of, uh, of that God gave to him. So a psalm may, may have been written during the closing, I mean, this psalm, I'm sorry, may, might have been uh, written during the closing days of his life, shortly before he died. Since the theme of the psalms is godly leadership, he may have written especially for Solomon. 
but it has much to say uh, to all of God's people today. I think we look at it, we can read it, and we can make application and say, I can learn something from this. All right? So it's a time of inspiration. Letter A, or number one, letter A, is privilege of leadership. Let's pr- look at verse 1. It says, now we read these verses, and these be the last words of David, which uh, David, the son of Jassy, and the man who was raised up on high, the anointed of God, of Jacob, and look what it says, and the sweet psalmist of Israel. Wow. Sad. The Spirit of the Lord spake by me, and His word was in my tongue. David never ceased to marvel that God would call him to become the king of Israel, to lead, his, to lead God's people. I'll tell you what. This man never got over himself. Here's the word, that he is from a little common poor family in Israel as a little shepherd boy or the, the, the youngest of, of all those kids that the mom and dad have. He, did the Lord elevate him to be a king in Israel? He never got to his head to say, oh, look who I am. He was always humble all of his life that the Lord even put him in that position. I think we can learn something from that, don't we? Like, look and put us in so much position. But I tell you what, if we have that humble attitude, it will go a long way. I, I tell you what, there's a young kid that works with me. And we start together. He's not a Christian, okay? He's not a Christian. But I can see the humble of this kid. You know, he started with me. I mean, I, I actually started before, I've been there before him. But he's a very young kid. He got there, he was 18 years old, and kept going. And, and today he's a general manager in, in one of the, 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 the sides of the company, not where I work, in the opposite side. But if you talk to him, it didn't got to his head. He's still as humble as he when he was 18 years old. Very kind, very friendly. You go to him, ask him something, and he gives you anything that you ask for. It is just, you're just amazed. It's like, wow, this guy could have just ignored people because where he is right now, because some people do that. This, this young man, I mean, uh, uh, he's not a Christian, but what an example. It is like I can approach him and talk to him, and he, he stops, he talks, and he sometimes even comes to people, tap him in the shoulder and talks to them, just like, like it is. That's David right here. David from a shepherd boy to a, to a king, it never really moved him. Money didn't move him. Prestige didn't move him. Position didn't move him. He was just as humble as he was when he was young. And see right here, he says, the sweet psalmist of Israel. Wow, that's amazing. You see, it was through David's descendant that God brought the Messiah into the world. From the human point of view, David was a nobody, a shepherd, the youngest of eight, eight kids, and an ordinary, from a, came from an ordinary Jewish family. Nevertheless, God selected him and made him to become Israel's greatest king. I tell you what, I was in... Uh, New Jersey, South Rock Baptist Church there, and I heard this, this uh, uh, man, this preacher, that came when he testified, when he said what he came from, he, he began to preach, and a tears came to my eyes. He said, I was a little b- a bus boy, and, and, and my mom and dad would go to church. I used to wait, and so to go to church in the bus every Sunday, and from there, the Lord put him in that position. What a great preacher. I tell you what, he would love to listen to that guy. He makes you, makes you get your Bible and wave it up in the air and praise God. When, that guy is just dynamic, just powerful, 
uh, witness of God. But that's what God does. And now we should not change the way we are. Like humbly look at, at the Lord and say, Lord, thank you. Thank you. I don't deserve this. I don't deserve to be in this position. But thank you. The humbleness of our hearts. So the, David, right here, says it's a, it's a privilege of being a leader in Israel. So the Lord had given David skill, hands, and a heart of integrity and equipped him to know and to do his will. Didn't David make mistakes? Of course he did. But his heart was for God. As soon as uh, the son of Jesse, David, David was a member of the royal tribe of Judah, something that was not, uh, uh, not true of the predecessor, of course, Saul. Saul is a totally different guy. Actually, he started good, went out bad. So David was just humble king. Let's go to letter B. The responsibility of leadership. God didn't train David to just put him on display, folks. But because he had important work for him to do. And so it is with every true leader. Leadership comes with what? Responsibility. It comes with responsibility. I tell you, folks. I, not here, okay? Not here. But I took care of my dad's business. I ran my own business twice, two different businesses that I had. I was in, I was in the co this company that I worked for 15 years in, member in membership, in leadership. I've been asked this place, but I don't want to do it anyway. But I tell you what. People, some people view you as the devil on legs. You have every ugly name that they can call you because of your position, and they don't understand the responsibility that you have. You got to be, I mean, it, it, uh, any position of leadership comes with responsibility. Somebody got to be responsible, right? Otherwise, nothing gets done. You know, I like my, my super, new supervisor that we have. I feel, I feel for him. I'm trying to teach him. But he goes, oh, you and me against the world. And no, 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 you're the leader. I'm just a worker. I'm not, I'm not in your position. But anyway, but it comes with great, great responsibility. doesn't matter what position of leadership we have. So David understood that. David was, was to rule God, over God's, uh, uh, God's own people, the sheep of his pastor. The, he was pulling that position to, uh, to lead his people. That was the same thing was given to Saul. Saul failed miserably. David came along. So such a thing, uh, uh, so leadership comes with awesome responsibility. It demands character and integrity. It demands a submissive attitude towards the Lord. Uh, so even in even outside world leadership, a good leader is a person that listens to the people that, that they work for him and also so they can represent them well to the next person ahead of them. So it is, you know, some, some leaders don't do that, but we got to listen to those people. So without, uh, so, I'm sorry, the man's submissive attitude towards the Lord. So without righteousness and the fear of the Lord, a leader becomes a dictator and abuses God's people. I'm talking about in the church. Driving them like cattle instead of leading them like God's sheep. So David was a, was a ruler who served, and, who served and a servant who ruled. And he had the welfare of his people in his heart. I believe that David served not as a, some per se, oh, look, I'm not, I'm addicted. No, David had a servant's heart. That's what David had as king. This man had a servant's heart. I think that fits in every leader. A leader is to have a servant's heart. 
So like Paul was saying, you know, follow me as I follow him. And so we say the same thing to everybody in the church. Follow me because I'm following him too. I have the same spirit of, of a servanthood just like anybody else. I remember I was in New York preaching this church. Uh, uh, Brother Smith, I think, actually is uh, Eric's church, if I'm not mistaken. And I was there, and, and it was a special thing that the pastor... I can say this man was working so hard and cleaning, and at the same time uh, smiling, making sure people are okay. It was like, wow, what a servant's heart this man had. Just, just there, you know, just serving the Lord. And uh, uh, he, he was not shy. You know, he was, I mean, I compare him to Pastor Crichton. He was with the suit and tie. Uh, you know, uh, Pastor Crichton was like that. You know, he would be outside the, uh, blowing the leaves, you know, in, outside in the parking lot with the suit and tie. And then he'd come back and, and he'd say, Pastor, what are you doing? And he had this peaceful, kind voice and say, I'm cleaning the leaves. <laughs> it was like, oh, Pastor, can you take the jacket? Well, I've got to do something after this. It was just like, it was just, your heart was just like, wow. <laughs> that servant attitude. So I believe David was that kind of man. So you see, David exemplified this example in his own life. So when he came to the throne, uh, he meant... Uh, 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 he came as a man with a servant's heart. So let's look at point number two. A time of great conflict. We look at that, the King David. Now we go to a time of great conflict. Look at verse 11. And after him was Shema, the son of Aji, the Heretite. And the Philistines were gathered together in a troop where it was a piece of ground full of lentils. And the people fled from the Philistines. So we see here something about to happen. War is never a pretty sight to see. I am so thankful. I'm honest with you. I am so thankful that to this very day, I never been in a war zone. But I pray for those who are. Because it's not a pretty sight to be. I mean, imagine your home destroyed, your life destroyed, people dead, destruction everywhere. And you don't even know where to run because you don't know where you should be to be safe. It is awful, awful. So i never been in those places, I, I, and I praise the Lord for that. It's by the grace of God because you never know when those things happen. But we see here a great conflict. So no, law, I mean, I'm sorry, war is never a pretty sight to see, neither a pretty, sight, a pretty place to be. So what brings destruction, pain, and death? War is something that is very real even in our day. The heart of man the Bible says desperately wicked and because of the human heart and the condition of human hearts, there's always going to be wars. Always going to be wars. When war takes place, there are always many people who don't live to tell the story of that war. Many don't live to tell the story years after. They will pay the ultimate price of it. But in my opinion, the worst thing about wars are those who don't take a stand and run because they don't want to be involved. The Bible is clear that it, that it, and when it tells that the Philistines were attacking the people of God. It was a time of great conflict for the children of Israel. Notice that the Bible reveals about this time here, letter A, the coming of the enemy. We see this in verse 11. Uh, verse 11 reveals that uh, the Philistines came in. What happened to God's people? They ran out. Wow. It's a sad thing to see. They didn't stood up for the 
crops, for their land, for their homes, for their families. They just ran. They don't even put up a fight. So these verses tells, tells us that the Philistines came, the people in the fields fled away. Uh, this let us know that the enemy most likely came during the time of the harvest here. It was a time when most people were occupied in the business of getting the crops in. They would be busy working. They would not be prepared for war. But still, we ought to be prepared for war because the, the devil is a roaring lion seeking about whom he's going to devour. So what we do, we are like we do like Nehemiah. One hand works and the other hand is ready. <laughs> For war, you know, because the enemy is always watching. Imagine the, the, like this. Let's put it like this. All right. Let's put a real lion, okay? A real lion. So a real lion is sitting about 50 feet away from you. And you're here building, like, let's say, building a wall right here. And the lion is over there. If it's a real lion and you were there, what would you do? You'd be in total alert. Like, if that guy moves, I move. <laughs> You know, because I don't want to be dinner. I mean, and that's not the reality. The Bible says it, that the devil is a lion. Like, he comes around, he walks around, and he looks for when we're not aware, and he comes and attacks. Well, the people of God, we were, they were doing. They were busy doing things, working, maybe in the harvest times, and nobody was aware of the enemy. So when the enemy shows up, what they do? They panic and run. We are to be prepared. Listen, folks, we are the soldiers of the cross. So if we are the soldiers of the cross, we are to have our weapons of war always on, ready to fight. Because our enemies don't give in and don't give up. They're always at war against us. So, you see, harvest time is a time of great joy, isn't it? If you were, if you were farming, you will understand that. People are working hard to get their crops in the barns so they can rest from their labor and enjoy the fruits of the harvest. Their attention is so focused on what they are doing that they are not prepared for battle. Actually, this side right here, they should have been prepared, uh, prepared for the enemy, but they did not. So when the enemy came, it caught them unprepared and easy for defeat. So when, this, when does the enemy comes against us, what should we do? Often we will come he will come in the midst of a great blessing or great victory. That's what the enemy does. After he comes in the midst, we, we celebrate a great blessing. He's already going around looking to whom he can devour. Often he will come when we are involved in doing something wonderful for the Lord. He will come when, we, when our minds are occupied with other things. What a lesson for us or for our church. See, we should always pray that the Lord will put a hedge of protection around the walls of the church so we don't get devoured and destroyed by the enemy. How many times do we find ourselves engaged in, uh, in the busyness of work uh, with our life that we sometimes forget the enemy? So I think that too often we uh, are like the... Uh, the church of Ephesus, Revelation chapter 2, verse 1 and 7, they were very busy for, the, busy for the Lord, but they did not even realize that the enemy had infiltrated a moral wound in their hearts. They were so busy doing good things that they did not see the enemy when he attacked and wounded them. So God would have his people be prepared. I believe 
And looking right here, we should always be prepared for the enemy. Why God's people ran? Because they were not prepared. They were working. They were not prepared. The enemy came. Look what it says in, go to 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. It's a very popular verse, but look what, we have to look at these words and see what God says in there. Look what it says. It says, I'll let you get there. I think the, the one big word right there is, the middle of the verse says, because. Look what it says. Be sober. He's telling us, he's warning us, be sober, be vigilant. Look what the word, because. Why should I be sober and vigilant? Because. Your adversary, whom is he? The devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. That word there, because, is a big word right there. Why? Because it tells us, why should we be vigilant and sober? Go to Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 16. Go to Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 16. When Nehemiah began to build the walls in Jerusalem, what happened? The enemy came. And the enemy did everything they could to what? To stop the work. And Nehemiah was not going to give up. I praise the Lord for Nehemiah's. You know, we're not going to give up. We're going to keep on going. Look what it says in verse 16. Nehemiah 4, 16. And it came to pass that the time for that the half of my servants wrought in the work, and the other half of them held both the spears and the shields and, and the bows and, and uh, uh, whatever the name is here. <laughs> what is it? Herbergians. And the rulers were behind all the, uh, behind all the house of Judah. You see what Nehemiah put right here? Put Nehemiah said, half of the people is going to work, and the other half, we're ready for war. It's not the enemy. You come, and we take care of you. That's pretty much what he's saying right here. Isn't that wonderful? It's great. You know why? Because he said, we're not going to stop. We're going to do what the Lord told me to do. I'm going to build those walls. And you know what? We'll fight, and we will work. <laughs> Isn't that what the church ought to do? We are to work for the Lord. We are to serve the Lord, praise Him. In the same time, we stand up. And we fight for Him. Look at verse 17. They which build, on the wall, build it on the wall, and they that bear burdens which, uh, with those that laid it, everyone with, with one of, of his hands wrought in the work, and with the other hand held a weapon. See, even the workers have one hand. One, I mean, I don't think they were working with one hand. What happened here? I think they're probably and right next to them, ready ready to use it. So for the builders, everyone had his sword girt by the side, and so built, look, look, look what it says, and so built, and he that sounded the trumpet was by me. So like these guys were on full alert. <laughs> these guys were like, you come here and you're going to get it. <laughs> That's what, I mean, Nehemiah is a great book on leadership. Great book on leadership. But I tell you what, they were ready. You say, you know what? You want to you mess up with us? Okay, guys, you got your weapons, you work, put your weapon next to you. When they come, we're ready. You know what happened to the children of Israel there? They were not ready. The enemy came in, they ran. They ran. Let it be the reason of the coming of the enemy. The enemy came against Israel for two reasons. To uh, afflict casualties, to destroy the crops. 
the Philistines know that if they could wound the enemies and bring them to a place of hunger, they would be easily defeated and enslaved by them. So those soldiers would march through the fields, uh, uh, destroying the crops and slaughtering all that stood in their way. So the same is true concerning our enemy, the devil. He comes to those, to the, to those same reasons, to inflict casualties and to destroy the crops. He attacks us so that we, he might weaken us, uh, that we will be easy enslaved to do his will. You know what? You want to, what he wants to do? He wants to kill our testimony. He wants to put us in the shelf to a point we say, well, what's to use? And we feel like we are defeated. Remember, Christian, here tonight, we are in the side of victory. We have victory in Jesus. We sing it up. Yes. Amen. Let me, let me say this out loud. That's a great verse. Say that verse again. 2 Timothy 2.3. 2 Timothy 2.3. That was the verse that Mrs. Creighton put in a card for me. Mm. 2 Timothy 2 verse 3. It said, yeah, I'm just because of the people on social media. They can't not hear her. It says, thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Great verse. Great, great verse. Praise the Lord for that. That's a wonderful verse. But anyway, but the, the enemy is the same thing right here. So uh, he wants to destroy our testimony. He wants to put us on the shelf. He wants to just literally destroy us. You know what? We have to stand up. He waits and waits until he sees you weak and vulnerable. And he uses the opportunity to attack you. Let us see what the enemy found. What the enemy found. Look there in verse 11. Of our text. It says in the middle of the verse. It says these words. It says. And the Philistines were gathered together. In a troop. Where was a piece of ground full of lentiles. And the people fled from the Philistines. They found something. They they went there purposely. Or they went there with a purpose. So this verse tells us when the enemy came. All the people fled before them. What the enemy found was no opposition. Isn't that, listen, if Satan finds no opposition, he will destroy everything. Do you think that Satan likes churches? No, you know why? Because we praise God here. You think he's satisfied with that? Especially when an unsaved person sits here and listens to the gospel? I don't think so. You know why? Because he opposes that. He's going to try everything to blind the eyes of that person and that heart so that person will never get saved. So, you know what? When there's no opposition, what happens? He marches right in. What happened to the Philistines? They marched right in because there was no opposition. People ran. Where was the warriors of Israel? They all ran. They would march into the fields because there was no opposition. This is a lesson for us to learn here. We should never be afraid of the enemy, neither run away from it. May we learn to stand and with confidence confront the enemy. The children of Israel let everything that they worked so hard for because of fear of harm. Everything that they worked for left behind and with fear they, they, they didn't stood up. They, they, they got defeated and left 
Can you imagine my, their home, their, their livelihood, their, their crops, they left everything because they were afraid. And no one stood up. Imagine if the enemy comes in and we all run out of the church because we are afraid. What is he going to do in the church? Destroy everything. Folks, there's a time that we kind of wisely walk away. But there are times that we stand up. Some might lose their lives in the process. But we just go home to be with the Lord. But we have to stand up. Sometimes you just have to stand up. Folks, the enemy will continually try to destroy what we have worked so hard for. I'm talking about our local church. The place where you come to worship. He will continue like a roaring lion, looking for the right opportunity to struck, to destroy, to kill, to cause divisions. That's how he is. He, he, he specializes on those things. So, folks, the Lord is working to reach the world for his name's sake. And the devil is fighting him every step of the way. Listen, the devil is not giving up. He's keep on fighting. What should we do? Are we going to give up? No. We are the soldiers of the cross. And if we are soldiers of the cross, you know, let, let, let me tell you this. When you go out and you give a piece of literature to somebody, what are you doing? You go into the war zone. You are in enemy territory. I so, said, yeah, well, but you know, I just go to the restaurant. I go there. You're giving it some, something to somebody that's not saved. You're going to the war zone. You know what? The enemy doesn't like that. Look, he's trying to recruit. Look, look, he's trying to recruit. Is that what we're doing? We're trying to recruit. <laughs> so we go to the enemy, Terry. So when you, put a, when you open your mouth and talk to somebody about the Lord, when you put a piece of literature, when you put somebody on face, something on your Facebook page, you know what are you doing? You are standing up for God. Because you go into the enemy territory. Just, just, just an observation of mine. It's not, it's not because I, it doesn't matter, but, you know, just an observation of mine. You put a Bible verse on social media. You got like two, three, four, five likes. <laughs> I'm okay. I don't care about likes. But then, then, you, then in the next post that you put, you put something as silly as can be. You know, that you look at it and you laugh and you got like 90, 100. <laughs> and you go, what's wrong with this picture? What is wrong with this picture? You know what? You are going to enemy territory. That's what it is. You know, you know like, oh, what is this? Oh, this guy. No, this, this one is fun. I put this one in here. So silly things make people like it. You know, no. Godly things. Why? Because it goes to enemy territory. All right. Let's move. <laughs> so number three, a time for courage. A time for courage. At any age that a person may live, the need for courage is a must. Let me tell you this. Do you think we need courage to live the Christian life today? What do you think? In any age, in any time in history, we need courage to stand out for Jesus. Let's go back in time. The Inquisition years. Was that hard to be a Christian in those years? Oh, Yes. Many people lost their lives. Families were burned up because they had a Bible and refused, or refused 
to, to obey the, those rules that they wanted us, the people to obey. You know what? They lost their lives. It was hard. But that was their age. What about this age? Is it hard to live the Christian life this age? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. It takes courage, commitment, and faithfulness to live the Christian life. It does. We have to have faith. We have to have courage. You have to be committed to the Lord every day. Lord, I do it again. The next day, Lord, I'm, that's called commitment. Now, in season, out of season, you know, the Bible talks about. How many times, let's be honest, how many times you get up in the morning and say, I'm not going to read my Bible today. You just don't feel like it. But you commit it. And in the end, you're glad you did it. Ben dear? I don't think I'm the only one. All right? Because it happens to me too. You know, like, oh, I think I'm going to listen to some music. No, no, I got I to gotta read my Bible. I got to read my Bible. And, and, you know, it feels like the words are dull. And, and then before you know, you get into it. You get into it. And in the end, you go, praise the Lord. I'm glad I, I'm glad I got a message out of this one. You know, like, it happens. But anyway, it takes courage. It takes commitment to live the Christian life. So God's people have, must, have, must be courageous, no matter what age we live, because in every age that we live, there's always going to be opposition. So folks, courage is what all of us need in order to stand. So Shema stood, letter A. Shema stood, look at verse 12. But he stood in the, middle, in the midst of the ground and defended. Okay, so we go back a little bit. I said, I said all ran away. No, all ran away except one. <laughs> one person said, you're not going to destroy my home. You're not going to destroy my crops. You're not going to destroy my land. I'm going to die fighting for it. Wow. You know what? What about us Christians? You're not going to destroy my church. You're not going to destroy my brothers and sisters. I will die for it. You see that? The Bible says that this man, Shema, stood... He resolved in his heart that he would fight even if he would, would do it alone. He made, in the, made up his mind that he would not run away from the battle. Maybe he had run before, I don't know, but this time he did not. He stood up. Today we would stand, uh, uh, he would stand and he would fight even if it cost him his life. You see, Shemot knew that there was, there was some things worth fighting for. Let me put it this way. Isn't that things worth fighting for? All right. Isn't that worth fighting for one another here? I believe so. Isn't that worth fighting for this place that the Lord gave us? I think so. Isn't that worth fighting for, for the Lord and let the people of this world know that God loves them? Of course it is. So we see there are things that is worth fighting for. And when we see they're worth fighting for, guess what? It gives us that energy and that commitment and will to say, I'm going to stand. That's what this man did. Obviously, he looked at the conditions of his land. He looked at the crops. He looked at his home. He looked at everything. He said, I'm not going to run away. I'm going to stand and fight against you. You're not going to have this thing easy the way you think. Can you imagine the other ones in the distance? I can just imagine how they felt when you saw one guy standing against the world by himself. Isn't that the way it should be in the local church? We could just stand, uh, stand back and watch the church go in the way of the world. 
We, should, we, could, we could just run away and hide while the enemy uh, tramples everything we love under his feet. Or we could decide tonight that we will stand for what is good. I tell you what, here's my stand. We will not have contemporary music here. That's my stand. I have my reasons why. But anyway, and many other things. But anyway, uh, so, so it is in local church. So uh, we could make up our minds that we are tired of seeing the devil hinder the word of God. They say, Pastor, what kind of Bible? I have people call me. Believe me, this is, this is uh, Pastor, I'm thinking about visiting your church. What Bible do you use? KJV Bible. Oh, thank you. You know what? It's always going to be the KJV Bible. It's not going to change. You know what? Oh, why? You're KJV only. No, that's not what I said. I said that's the Bible that we use here to teach, preach, and read and study. That's what we do. You know why? Because I believe that's the closest translation from the original writings. So if I want to teach the people, uh, be as close to your original writings as I can, I'm going to stick with that. I mean, if anybody, even if, listen, people can, I have different Bibles at home, don't get me wrong. I have them there, people give it to me, they decorate on the shelves. But let me tell you, I read, study, preach from the KJV Bible. That's what I do, and I always will. So, what we see here? Did I give you letter B? Letter B. Shaman's reasons. Reason. Why did this man fight? He knew that without food, the people would perish. He knew that the people had to eat and that if they were going, to, if they were going away, the, the crops were going to be destroyed and his people were going to take over the land. So there was many reasons. I explained uh, a couple of times here the reasons why. You know, he saw what was at stake. What, what are you going to lose? And he stood up. I think we, we understand those things. Let me put it like this. If somebody comes to your house to do your harm, to destroy your home, would you run? Or would you stand? If you're like this guy right here, you would say, like, I know what's at stake here. I'm going to lose this, I'm going to lose this, I'm going to lose this. You know, I'm going to stand up. Let us see. Shaman's reward. Shaman's, Shaman's reward. Look at verse 12. And he stood in the midst of the ground and defended and slew the Philistines. Wow. By himself. And look what it says. Look what it says there. Don't forget. Listen. It's a, a beauty, beauty about the Bible, all right? Read the whole verse, all right? Don't get there because if we don't read the whole verse, we think this guy is a, is a, is a superman here, okay? He's not a superman, just a regular person like me and you. Look what it says. But he stood in the midst of the ground and defended, meaning he didn't back up. He defended his ground, and he slew the Philistines. And look what it says. And the Lord wrought a great victory. So who, who had the victory there? God did, the Lord, absolutely. You know what? God used him to get a victory. He, cannot use, he could not use the other ones because the other ones ran away. See what they lost? If they stood there with him, God would blast them, and a victory probably would be even bigger. But one man stood. You know what? God gave him the victory. It was not him. I mean, what's the odds? Okay, okay you have a sword in your hands. And 50 men come against you. What's the odds you're going to survive? 
I mean, you know, just practically, it's like, you're not going to last but two or three minutes. <laughs> they make shush kebab out of you, you know? But I mean, those men stood against those Philistines. You know what? God. God was the one. It was there. The Bible tells us that Shemin slew the enemies of the people of God because he fought. He enjoyed a great victory. If he had run away like all the others, he would have been a coward and he would have been defeated. The enemy would have prevailed. Let me tell you, friends, tonight, we must take a stand for the things of the Lord. We must take a stand for what that which is right and for which is important. If we don't, do, we don't, then who will? If we don't take a stand for our church, if we don't take a stand for our brothers and sisters, if we don't take a stand for, for doctrine, if we don't take a stand for our Bibles, if we don't take, take a stand for liberty and freedom, who's, who will? When the enemy has secured a victory and the cause of Christ has been hindered, then we who refuse to fight the good fight of faith have no to blame but ourselves. If we want the reward of victory, then we must arm ourselves, stand our ground, and fight for the glory of God. Some will lose their lives in the process. They just go home. But we stand our ground. What do I mean stand our ground is? It means my foot is here, and my foot's not going to back up. Stand your ground. Let me give you my last point tonight. A time of conquest. Verse 12 says, And he stood in the midst of the ground and defended and slew the Philistines, and the Lord wrought a great victory. So, letter A, the Lord defeated the enemy. May we think here tonight, it was not him that had a victory. It was God. So, he, uh, the, the last part of verse 12 tells us that the one who really won the victory was the Lord. He gave Shammah the ability to stand. He gives Shema the power to fight. He gives Shema the, the skill to win. He gives Shema the victory over his enemies. So Shema may, may have held the sword, but it was God who fought the battle. That's why, you know what? Take all you care upon Him. Because the Lord can fight our battles. And then, you know, when we allow the Lord to fight our battles, the victory is sweeter. The thing is, we have to learn how to... Let the Lord fight our battles. It was the same when David walked in the valley against Goliath, or when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stood their ground, or when Daniel continued to pray in spite of what the king commanded. Men take this sin because they are empowered by God, and they believe in what they're doing. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, I will not bow down to that statue, and I will not make that statue my God. And you know what? They went to the... To the, to the fire, the fire pit, and they, they thought they could, the, the king thought they were going to be shish kebab, but guess what? It didn't happen. They, took, they stood their ground. Daniel stood their ground as ground too. You know what? When we stand our ground for God, God is indeed, he's going to give us the victory. David stood against Goliath. I like that passage of David when uh, David, David goes and literally knocks that, that giant down. He said, you're not going to blaspheme the, the armies of the living God. 
That was a blast. I love that. I love that. I mean, I know we, we share that with the kids in Sunday school a lot, but that is a great passage. There was somebody that took a stand for his God and said, you're not going to talk about my God that way. May we do that? So, you know, we should do the same thing in our everyday life when somebody blasphemes the name of our God, oh, you curses God and all that. We should take a stand and say, whoa, 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 whoa. I had a friend of mine, a Christian friend of mine, that was working in a, in a bank as a, uh, there in a, a teller, right? A teller, yeah. And uh, the person that was working next to him began to curse God because they made a mistake several times. And he looked at her and they said, can you stop, please? And she said, why? I said, you are cursing my God. Could you, can you curse your God? Well, that was good. What a statement. Why don't you curse your God? Leave my God alone. He said, the Jesus that you're cursing is my Jesus. Wow. He said, I thought I was going to lose my job that day. But I stood for God that day. I said, it just came out. It's not like something I thought about. It just was automatic. It came right out. I tell you what. That's what happened when we stand our ground. Listen, folks. When we face the spiritual battles of life, we need to remember that those battles are the Lord's. Actually, let me give you some here right here. Uh, go to Second uh, Chronicles chapter 20, 20, verse 15. I want you to see something there. Second Chronicles 20, 15. I know this is towards Israel, but we can take some principle out of this. Look what it says. And he said, Hearken ye, O Judah, Second Chronicles 20, 2015. I'll wait a little bit. Look what it says. And he said, Hearken ye, O Judah, and inhabitants of Jerusalem, and thou, uh, King Jehoshaphat, thou saith the Lord unto you, Be not afraid, nor dismayed, by reason of great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. You see that? Now go to First Samuel chapter 17, verse 47. First Samuel chapter 17, verse 47. You folks online can do the same thing. If you have a Bible next to you, First, 17, uh, first uh, Samuel chapter 17, verse 47. Look what it says. And all this assembly shall know the Lord saved not with sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you unto our hands. See this? Therefore, when you fight the battles... Whatever you win or lose, you have done what the Lord requires. You have been faithful right here. That is what God demands of us. You know, that battle, it's his battle. Let it be. The Lord defended the, the, Lord defended the ground. Let me see in verse 12. Because God had one man who was willing to stand. The fields were protected and the people were saved from starvation and from slavery. And let me tell you, God doesn't need a multitude of people to defend himself. If you read through the Bible, many times God uses things where you scratch your head. He says, humanly speaking, this is impossible. You know why? God proves over and over, you know, I am the Lord, and there's no one else next to me, and I use just one person to accomplish my will. That's our God right here. It shows right here to us, you know what? Everybody ran away, but I have one. And you know what? And through that one, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have victory because those Philistines are not going to do that. You know what? What a great victory. See, the Lord defended the ground. He used one man to defend the ground. 
Folks, let me put it this way. Think with me for a moment. If we do not stand, Satan will certainly take everything from the church he can get his hands on. If he takes away the Bible, what will the following generation eat? We need the Word of God for our spiritual food, don't we? If he takes away our desire to witness, who will tell the good news? If he takes away our will to pray, who will call on the Father and stand in a gap for this world? If we do not fight, if we do not stand, then we will certainly lose those things that give us power and make us great for the glory of God. If we do not fight today, then people will starve tomorrow. If the fields are not protected now, those who follow will now have, will have no harvest to enjoy. One man stood. The people came back and enjoyed the harvest. In their homes, everything was protected. God got the victory. If that man ran away like the other ones, there was no harvest. There was no home to come back to. Everything would be destroyed. You more than likely, there would be slaves to the Philistines. I conclude with this, folks, tonight. The enemy is still attacking the people of God, just as he did through the Philistines. You know what we need to do? Like this guy, Shamar, we need to stand our grounds and show the enemy that we have a great God that can take care of us. You say, Pastor, what about if I'm alone? God can use you even if you're alone. Right here, what a great example. By himself. The Bible doesn't say that he looked back and called the other ones. He did not. He stood his ground facing the enemy. What was the odds? Not very good. Not very good. But you know what? In the end, one man stood. One man. God gave him the victory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for those who stand for you in every, any age. Lord, today, the church needs soldiers who would stand up for you. Lord, our churches are under attack. We see this more and more. Lord, may we treasure what we have here. May we stand and fight and uphold close to our hearts what we have. Lord, it is a great treasure, the local church. Lord, help us to stand, Lord, wherever we go, our ground. Stand for you, like this man did. He was all alone, Lord, but he didn't regret it. He fought the good fight of faith. May we do the same thing. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.